Hi, my name is Jacob Benton, and I'm the worship leader at King's Cross Church. You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross in Charleston, South Carolina. We're working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to The Story, visit kingscross.org. Thanks for listening. Okay, um, some of you have, are, are using the little binders that we have for this series that we're going to be in all year. On your way in, um, you'll notice that there are three things, because this week we're going to end chapter one, so next week we start chapter two. So on the table out in the lobby close to the door, you found a chapter two divider, and then the chapter two devotional, which starts tomorrow. Just by, uh, out of curiosity, by show of hands, uh, how many of you are following along with the devotional reading plan, or you're making a good effort attempt at it? Don't be shy. Hold, hold you. Okay, that's good. Um, how many of you have been waiting for a new break because maybe you missed the first week and you're excited for chapter two because you want to pick it up there? Okay, good, good, good. That's encouraging. We just need to know, like, it's a lot of work. Are we, you know, where are we, where are we on it? Um, and then you got the sermon notes on your way in. And so um, hopefully if you're um, unfamiliar with that or if you don't have a binder, there are some of them left out there. This will probably be the last week where we'll keep putting the, the, um, the past inserts in there. From now on, it'll kind of be on you to, to keep up with it because we're wrapping up Uh, chapter 1 today. But we have a lot of stuff to cover. And so here's kind of where we are. In Genesis 1, what we saw was that God created everything that was, that he created it with order and purpose. He created man in his image, and everything was very good. And then last week, Pastor Josh showed us from Genesis chapter 2, the way that God intended for his image bearers to live in that good creation, the way that he intended their relationship with him to be and their relationship with one another and and this kind of beautiful perfection of peace and enjoyment that God created for us as his image bearers to exist in. Here's the rub. Is that the world you live in? No. And so the question is, what went wrong? And everyone, Christians, Muslims, atheists, agnostics, Buddhists, old, young, black, white, Latin, Asian, rich, poor, liberal, conservative, everyone agrees that the world is not perfect. Everybody, nobody would say, this is exactly the way, it cannot get any better than this. No one would argue that. The question is, why? What's the problem? And by implication, what's then the solution? And it's that question that divides families and severs friendships and creates social, social turmoil and even causes wars. The story of the Bible is, to no small degree, one big answer to that one big question. What is wrong with the world and what is the solution? I had a professor in seminary who said that the New Testament was basically a commentary on the Old Testament, that the Old Testament was basically a commentary on the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, that the Pentateuch was basically a commentary on Genesis, and Genesis is basically a commentary on Genesis 1 through 3. 
which is why we've gone so slow. Because you might be looking at your calendar and thinking, this ain't going to work. <laughs> right? um, and so it's the reason why we've gone so slow through these first three chapters, because Genesis 1 through 3 are so incredibly foundational to everything else that comes after it. So here's the Cliff Notes version of the rest of Scripture. Right? Sin is the problem. Jesus is the solution. Spoiler alert if you're new. Right? This is basically the story that's being told. What Genesis 3 shows us is not some ancient myth. It's not an origin fable about fictional characters. It's a pattern of human sin that is every bit as true today as it was when our first parents, Adam and Eve, fell into those patterns and unleashed the consequences of sin on the world. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to start by looking at that pattern of sin, then we're going to look at its consequences and see what God's solution for it is. We'll start with the pattern, the pattern of sin. Sin always begins first when we question God's word. This is where it always starts. Look at me at Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The serpent is not called Satan in the text. Rather, the serpent is presented as the great tempter of mankind. Later in the story, when you get to the end of it, in Revelation 12, 9, it's going to refer to that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So we understand that that's who it is, but we aren't specifically told that here. What we are told is that the serpent is crafty and that he's created. And that matters. This is not some cosmic duality. This is not good versus evil on even footing, warring it out on the earth. That's not what happens here. The serpent is a created being. Let's keep going. The serpent says to the woman, did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. And this is where sin begins. We question God's word. And we do so then and now in two kind of classic ways. The first way is classically a classically liberal attack on God's word, which is to take away from it. God didn't say that, did he? I mean, surely God didn't mean that, right? I mean, when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, what he meant was, I love you and I want you to be happy. Don't worry about all those commandments. Like, I mean, yes, way back then, God said that sexual intimacy was to be enjoyed between one man and one woman inside the covenant of marriage, but God's matured. He's grown out of that antiquated way of thinking. Like, hey, you know that stuff's just written by Paul, right? I mean, like, Jesus didn't teach that. Hey, you understand, Jesus never claimed to be God, right? I mean, surely, did God, did God really say that? I mean, really? The second attack on God's word is classic legalism, which adds to it. 
Classic liberalism takes away from God's word. Classic legalism adds to God's word. Yes, God did say not to do that, and and neither shall you do this. So God said no sex before marriage, and you know dancing, dancing leads to sex. And so clearly you're not supposed to dance. God said not to get drunk, and so you clearly cannot have a glass of Cabernet with that steak. You know, the Bible never mentions electric guitars. I mean, our worship, I mean, just understand it's not nearly as spiritual as it was when we just had a piano. And it might even be sinful. Right? Neither shall you do this, which is what Eve does. In various ways, at various times, at various degrees, we question God's word in one way or another. Second, we question God's goodness. Question God's goodness. The serpent continues in verse 5. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. All these rules, they're just designed to hold you back. God doesn't want what's best for you. He's keeping things from you. I mean, don't you see, if God really loved me, he would never ask me to give this up or to refrain from that or to say no to this. God wouldn't do that. And if he does, well, then he's not good. And he's not loving. And so you hear people all the time say things like, I could never worship a God who does this. Well, I could never worship a God who would say that. Well, that's not the question. Is it? The question is not, what type of God would you prefer to worship? That's like, that's just dumb. That's like asking a child, what kind of candy would you prefer for dinner? Well, they've got an answer, right? That's not the question. The question is, what is the real God really like? That's the question. And so goodness is defined by God, not the other way around. And so if he does it, if he commands it, then it is good. But sin questions God's goodness based on our standards. So question God's word, we question his goodness, and third, we trust ourselves. We trust ourselves. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so it it satisfied her cravings, right? her appetites. And that it was a delight to the eyes. It stimulated her senses. It, it, it elevated her experience in the world. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So it would elevate her standing in the world. It would give her an advantage. She took of its fruit and ate. She trusted her, herself, her judgment, her ideas about what was good and what was helpful more than she trusted God's. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Hey, everybody else is doing it. Literally. (laughs) She's the only other one. (laughs) I mean, this person I love is doing it. This person I trust is doing it. Why, why wouldn't I? 
do it. And this is what we do. We trust us. Despite, and you've heard me say this before if you've been around for a while, overwhelming evidence that doing so will lead us to make bad decisions. And you have that evidence, don't you? Everybody in their 20s looks back at themselves as a teenager and says, oh my gosh, why did I like that, listen to that, wear that, hang out with them, do that, say that? Oh my goodness. Everybody's children laughs at their pictures of them in high school. If you're in high school right now, your children are going to laugh at you. What you have on right now will be a joke to them. Everybody in their 30s looks back on themselves in their 20s and think, I don't know how I lived. I don't, I don't know how I stayed out of jail. I don't. It, everybody in their 40s looks back on themselves in their 30s and thinks, oh, man. If I could just do that over again, do you know how much farther along I would be if I could make that decision differently? And yet, we trust ourselves. Because this is what sin does. This is the pattern of sin. We trust us over an omnipotent, omniscient creator who made us. We trust us. That's the pattern of sin. We question God's word, we question his goodness, and we trust ourselves. And it has an infinite number of consequences. Let's just look at the ones that are clear in the text of Genesis 3. Consequences of sin. First, we see that sin produces shame. Sin produces shame. Verse 7, we continue. The eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is an internal consequence. Because just moments before, they were not ashamed. Now they are. They feel the need to cover themselves. They do what we all do when shame takes hold of our hearts and warps our minds. We try to hide. We try to cover ourselves. Now, in our day, not so much with fig leaves, okay, but, but we cover ourselves with a fake life on Instagram or Facebook because people like that person. And so I'll just pretend that this is me. We cover ourselves in bravado, and so we brag about sin. We make a joke about it. We exaggerate it even. Just tell a little story among the boys. Because, hey, if we laugh at it, if it's kind of cool, then it can't be that bad, right? I mean, if we're proud of it. And so, and so we clothe ourselves with bravado. Or, or we clothe ourselves with a web of lies. And, and we seek to conceal and defraud and to elude. Because if no one knows, then it can't be that bad. So we just cover ourselves in lies or we try to numb the shame with alcohol or drugs or sexual conquests or any number of self-destructive behaviors in an attempt to bury our shame so that even we don't have to see it or feel it or deal with it. But friends, understand this. Shame that leads to self-loathing or broken relationships or self-harm or or hiding from God, or running from God. That is satanic. Shame that leads you to conviction and repentance 
That's from the Lord. God's will for your life is not shame. He does will, however, to work through the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment so that your conviction might lead you to repentance and forgiveness and restoration, not to leave you in a place of shame. If you're someone this morning who's bearing a weight of shame over something in your past, can I tell you, you are in the right place because God does not want that to characterize your life. You do not have to stay there. God's will is to bring you out of that. That shame is a consequence of sin. Second consequence is fear. It's fear. Verses 8 through 10. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And the Lord said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid myself. This is an external consequence. Because being naked before God was not a problem moments ago. It had never been a problem, but now they fear God. Shame deals with how you feel about you. Fear comes from how you think others feel about you. You with me? My um, boy in Spaniel likes to stand right next to my bed, and he just stares at my face when he wants to get up and go out in the morning, you know? And so I'll just wake up, and there's my dog just kind of staring at me. It never makes me afraid. I don't fear him. He like kind of likes me a little, right? And that's not an exaggeration. Yes, <laughs> he tolerates me, right? But I'm not afraid. If I wake up and there's a brown recluse spider sitting on my pillow staring at me, I am afraid, right? Because that little death monger does not like me. <laughs> and he may have it in for me, yes? Fear comes from knowing that there will be or there might be or there should be consequences heading your way. Now, sometimes that fear comes from your sin because you've had some secret sin exposed and you fear the consequences. Or because you've done something and you know sooner or later it's going to blow up on you. And so you're afraid of the consequences that are coming your way. Sometimes fear comes because you're sinned against and you have trauma that's triggered that causes you to be afraid or, or you're threatened and you respond accordingly. So it may be somebody else's sin, but nonetheless, it's a consequence of sin. Sometimes fear is just a result of living in a broken world. And so you think about things like hurricanes or flash floods or bear attacks or you know, the sound of a rattlesnake. Like, wh whatever the source, fear in the human experience is a consequence of sin. Third consequence is broken relationships. Broken relationships. Watch this immediate ripple through God's very good creation that happens once sin is kind of dropped into it. Verse 11. God said, 
Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now the relationship with God is broken. Because God knows the answer to that. The answer is yes. The man said, the woman who, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Blame shifting. Now the relationship between the man and the woman has been broken. Verse 13, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Remember the serpent is created. Now their relationship with the rest of the created order is broken. This is what sin always does. By definition, it separates us from God. He is holy. He is perfect. In him, there is no darkness at all. It cannot be in the presence of sin. Even the smallest sin from our perspective means that we cannot be in his presence. Can you imagine in the International Space Station if someone said, well, yeah, we know there's a hole, but it's a small one. It's not that big a deal. Don't. <laughs> That's not how it works. Even the smallest penetration of the exterior shatters the vacuum of the whole thing. And so it separates us from God. Sin shatters our relationships with each other. Sometimes in really big, obvious ways. You think about physical or emotional or mental abuse or violence. Criminal actions of all kinds. Genocide. War. Systematic oppression. These are broken relationships between God's image bearers. Sometimes it comes in more subtle ways too. Jealousy, resentment, pride, greed, selfishness, suspicion, neglect. Like God's very good design was for perfect relationships. Relationships that were characterized by shalom, flourishing and mutual benefit and blessing. But our sin has broken that good design, resulting in an infinite number of ways that our relationships with one another have been broken. Even our relationship with the rest of God's good creation has been shattered. You think about things like pollution, deforestation, the extinction that comes from irresponsible hunting, on and on and on we could go. The ways that we have harmed God's good creation. This is the devastated landscape left in the wake of our sin. So one of the reasons why we put such a high priority on relationships and being connected in community at King's Cross. You see, it's one of our values out on the wall because we know that every act of healing of reconciliation, of trust and love and forbearance and forgiveness, every simple act of kindness and friendship pushes back the curse of sin that threatens to break relationships all around us. A fourth consequence in the text, again, there are many more, is the reality that we live in a cursed world. We, fear, we feel shame and fear. Our relationships are broken. Indeed, the entire world is cursed. Look back, verses 14 to 18. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. 
On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And the serpent is the most cursed, not the only cursed creature that God made. All of God's creatures are cursed because of the sin of mankind. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. More on that in just a minute. Verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Family life is cursed. Childbirth and by extension, child raising are impacted, as is the marital relationship that Josh talked about last week, verse 17. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So not just the creatures, the entire creation is cursed. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. That's vocational life. The work that God gave his image bearers in chapter 2 is now hard and toilsome. Even the food sources so easily accessible in chapter 2 now will become a burden for mankind. The whole world is under the curse of sin. And the last consequence of sin is the worst one, death itself. Death itself. Verse 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. Brothers and sisters, you were not created to die. Death is not a part of life. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You were created to be immortal. We saw this last week. Pastor Josh talked about this. If you missed his sermon, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. He talked about how we were created to enjoy God and his very good creation forever. This is why Every culture across all time and geography mourns and laments and tries its best to overcome death. Because we know as human beings, deep in the essence of who we are, that death is a foreign invader. Death is an alien experience. It's the consequence of sin. The greatest threat to human beings, the greatest sign of the curse is death. Because no one made in the image of God should ever die. That's what's wrong with the world. So the question becomes, well then, what's the solution? Genesis 3 gives us three. And I'm going to move through them fairly quickly. Because we're going to spend the next 49 weeks examining the answer to this question. What is the solution? But I'll just give you the three that are in the text. The first, the most important, is a promised offspring. A promised offspring. I told you I'd come back to verse 15. God said to the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his 
heal. God's immediate response to the serpent tempting mankind into sin is to promise to send one who will do battle with the serpent. An offspring of the woman, a child of promise, one who will himself be bruised, but who will evidently inflict an even greater blow on the serpent than he receives from the serpent. That is good news. God is not going to allow the enemy of his image bearers to go unpunished. Justice is coming. We'll spend about two-thirds of the story piecing together this series of progressively revealing clues about the identity of this promised offspring, this promised one in Genesis 3.15. What we know for now is that he will be sent by God, but born of a woman. Second, verses 20 and 21, we see a provisional sacrifice. So we have a promised offspring, and then we immediately get a provisional sacrifice. Verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This sets a pattern. An animal is sacrificed as a result of the sin of the man and the woman. And notably, the sacrifice is made by God himself, not by them. God himself sacrifices the animals to clothe his image bearers. God had warned them, do not eat of this one tree. If you do, you are going to die. And yes, eventually they will. But for now... Instead of their immediate death, there's this provisional sacrifice made in their place. A sacrifice because of their sin as a covering for the consequences of their sin. Now, here's what's going to happen if you stick with us. As the story unfolds, what we're going to find is that this one sacrifice isn't enough. Many, 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 many sacrifices are going to be needed. There are going to be more animals sacrificed, grain sacrificed, cereals, drink sacrifices, burnt offerings. There are going to be sacrificial places and prayers and sacrificial rituals and days and festivals. And none of them will ever be enough. They're all provisional. They're all temporary interim, limited sacrifices until one day a once-for-all sacrifice appears and the sins for God's people will be fully covered by the death of God's Son. But for now, the sacrifice is provisional. And that sacrifice, that ultimate once-for-all sacrifice that's coming will bring to completion the third solution for sin that we find in Genesis 3, which is a temporary separation. A temporary separation. Close out the chapter, verses 22 to 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. 
That is a reference, if you missed two weeks ago, of God the Father, Son, and Spirit, all of whom are, uh, are, are, are eternally preexistent. They are not created. Go back and listen to that sermon. Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The serpent had promised them they would become like God. Instead, they were expelled from his presence. Sin held out the promise that they would gain everything they were lacking. Instead, they lost everything they had. But I'll tell you that my interpretation is that these last three verses are pure grace. Verse 22 trails off. Did you notice that in the way the text is written? It's as if God doesn't complete his thought. Now, Lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. I think the end of that thought is worse than anything we can possibly imagine. I think it's eternal life, but as sinners, eternally stuck in and with the consequences of our sin. I think we would have become like the angels who are not eligible for redemption. Instead, God separates us from his presence and, importantly, from the tree of life, but only temporarily. The rest of the story will be God's unending pursuit of his rebellious, stiff-necked, sinful image bearers. The rest of the story is God making a way for us to be in his presence again. He will meet a representative of his people on a mountain And then one day he's going to dwell in the midst of his people in a tabernacle, in a temple. And then eventually he's going to send his son to live among his people. And now through the power of the Holy Spirit, he lives in his people. And eventually all those who believe will be in his presence again forever in a new heaven and a new earth. That is really, really good news. That's the story that we're going to spend this year examining together. And I hope that you will be committed to joining us. Let's pray. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.